We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 403 of the Winning Six podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee. And joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I'm very confused as to why we're having a podcast. Nothing literally has happened in the Bucks universe. I, you say that right, but there was a like big news. There was actually big news. Hmm. News dropped. There was this firing. Some people saw it coming a long way off. Others felt the day would never come. And I thought, there's no one I want to talk to more about this. There's no one who's gonna have the the inside track for me on this particular piece of news more than my pal Jordan. So Jordan, what was your reaction when the Green Bay Packers fired Joe Barry? You know, I saw it coming. I saw it coming. It's like been my three intro. years. <laughs> yes. Three years, you know, good playoff showings, but on the whole, old Joe had to go, you know. This is the second pod I've started with a, like a bit today that's kind of backfired because the person's gone with it too much. Andrew just really went with a bit I set him up on. 
I'll make time for this and that was I was like god this is backfired these people just go with this and all of a sudden we're too <laughs> far into the podcast and we haven't talked about what it's about Adrian Griffin out Doc Rivers in that is the most succinct summary I can give you of a crazy crazy few days for the Milwaukee Bucks 54 hours roughly sure. give or take as we're and I, I say Doc Rivers in he's not officially in yet uh, Joe no. Prunty is technically in. Interim. He might have to. He might have to like prize that job from Joe Prunty's cold dead hands. You know, Joe Prunty had to give this up once. He may not do it again. <laughs> he was. He was worked up. He was animated on the sidelines. He's. He was. He's into this. There's a reason this is the man you call when you need an interim head coach. It's because he does not coach as if he's just getting one or two games in. It's it's life or death for Joe. Um, we'll probably talk a little bit about Joe, but as much as we love you, Joe, you're gonna have to take a back seat. Uh, our last episode, Jordan, we ended up not having an episode last week. So the week before, we talked about honestly a crucial period of time coming up for the books and all of the kind of uncomfortable questions facing them, decision wise, based around well, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna do with Adrian Griffin? What are they gonna do with the roster? At that point, they were coming through a really horrible time. Immediately after that pod, they absolutely blew the Celtics out. And I guess there was that glimmer of hope. Hey, maybe you can turn this thing around. The thing was not turned around. But at the same time, I will say I was surprised. I was, as has been recounted in other places, I feel like um, I'm, I'm doing my, I'll pull back the curtain slightly. I'm doing my preparations for, you know. Oscars coming up end of years. Movie movies are a big passion of mine for people who do not know that, for people who don't listen to the other one of the other podcasts I host in the network. And we're approaching the time where, you know, Andrew and I will pull the curtain down in 2023 and talk about our favorite movies. So there's one one big fish in some ways that I had outstanding. It was a four and a half hour movie. And I was like, I haven't I mean have to find like the right time for this movie. It's an Argentinian movie. It's called Trenka Laucon for anyone who's interested. It's really good. But I was like, Andrew, my phone battery. I'm gonna put my phone over the other side of the room. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bask in this thing. It's four and a half hours. I'll report back to you then. And I don't know, like a couple of hours in ish, I was like, I'll just check my phone in case like there's some sort of emergency. In case there's anything urgent, anyone needs me urgently. And I just saw all the notifications and I, I really couldn't believe. It's not unbelievable that he was fired, right? But I I just didn't think we were there quite yet. I felt like everyone else was kind of ahead of the books on it, but that, in fact, seems to be no very far they're... from the truth. Honestly, the books <laughs> might have the books might have thought about firing him before anyone else did. Yeah. Like maybe back before the season started, they might have been like, God, have we made a mistake here? Um honestly wild wild incredible this is i believe the third shortest tenure in the last 30 so years in the nba howard beck had the kind of the breakdown on that for i'm to be clear i'm not talking about books head coaches i'm talking any nba NBA. coach and honestly i would say if you were to probably expand that to like big four you're probably you're not getting 10 coaches within the last 30 years across any of those sports like not interim coaches 
full-time, permanently appointed head coaches to last as short as Adrian Griffin has. Anyway, there's a lot of setup. Were you surprised like I was? If even just by the timing, like it it was a bolt out of the blue in spite of the fact that we all were seeing what was happening on the court. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not every day that you see someone get fired in the manner and context that Adrian Griffin had been working with. I mean, we all had questions and those questions increasingly um surfaced and they stayed there and whether people were first on it or claiming all that stuff, it doesn't really matter because I feel like they're the uneasiness of, of what transpired with the bucks this year, the first 43 games of the, of the season just made for this kind of uncanny Valley of a team where it's like, well, they're good. But are they? Are like we know the offense is good, but like can the offense be better? Their defense is terrible, and it's sliding even further, and all this stuff. And I think for me, it's like we're both on the train of well, they're gonna probably ride it out. They're gonna eat it, and at the end of the season, they'll probably do some internal you know, surveying of what they feel like they accomplished this year or where they fell short and everything like that. It's like, no, this this is all happening in real time and we have to act now. And I don't blame them for doing that. Like, I we're mm. obviously going to have a multi-layered discussion about this. Yes, a lot to get into. I don't blame them for doing that kind of internal check or like keeping the pulse of the team, you know, or keeping keeping their pulse on the team and as you know they're going through all this stuff, keeping that very present. But you know, it ultimately it says a lot about the organization right now that I feel like brings up a lot of questions clearly. Yeah, we we thought that this would be an like again we talked about it on our last episode. We thought this would be kind of an end of season thing. I I wasn't really in a place where, barring like again the talent winning out and you having a great run in the playoffs, I I did not expect him to get a second season. Like going into all of the conversations that have been had all along, I didn't think he was the right coach for the job at the time, but once you hire him, he's your guy, right? And it's decisions made. Right, exactly. And it just doesn't happen very often, and really all but once in NBA history, it doesn't work to just pull the plug mid-season with a team. Like, because you can now spin this as, well, we have to act because the expectations for this team. But the reality is, when you have expectations like that, it's even rarer to act because in some ways it does kind of pull the plug on a season. And I think even what's progressed since then in terms of the fact that, okay, it's not official at our time of recording, but it's widely reported. And even the general manager of the books has by name uh, <laughs> referenced the person who will be the head coach very shortly. Like they moved for a permanent head coach and a big name head coach. And he got a multiple year deal. And to me, part of that, 
and we'll get into it, as you rightly point out, we'll dive into all these details, kind of speaks to me to a desire to almost paper over the cracks and pretend, no, no, we're not caught in a dead zone right now. We're we're locked in. This is the guy for the next few years, and this is now the next phase of the books. Whereas it doesn't just work like that mid-season. The opportunities for Doc Rivers and a coaching staff, which, again, going to be interesting to see how that unfolds, because it sounds very much like it's going to be Adrian Griffin's staff, plus maybe a Dave Yeager and add one or two more voices and Doc Rivers. So it's not even... It's very, very similar to Quinn Snyder with the Hawks last year. Which Joe Prunty ironically was on that staff. I always, do you remember the guy in the original, uh, it was a Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, I think the original Willy Wonka movie. Uh, I, I did this comparison at the time because there was that great photo that we used to love using as a meme of Prunty whispering out the side of his mouth to, to Jason Kidd on the bench. And there was that guy who every time someone would get a golden ticket, he'd appear and he'd just be whispering <laughs> out of the side of his mouth. It was like this kind of villainous figure, so it seemed. Prunty has, has some of this nah, He just yeah, happens to be the wrong place at the wrong time for other people very often. Uh, <laughs> I I just... I, I don't think it can be overlooked how broken this must have been. This is not a normal decision to not see this season true when you're a team with this level of expectations with a coach who's just there at length of time. Like, I... As much as even people are going, oh, look, things are bad out of what's come out in last year's. I don't think we've scratched the surface. I think end of this season, this ends either in success or failure. And with a team of this caliber, like talent-wise, unfortunately, that is the binary like element of it. That's the they're the only real grades you can give. At that point, we'll either have a God, you don't know what we've come through. This is how bad it was. Here's the stuff Adrian Griffin had this team doing. Or we'll have, you know, the failure for this team was, you know, I don't know. It was sown in training camp on the day where Terry Stotts walked out on the team. You know, and one way or another, I think all of that stuff is there and that's written. It doesn't come out mid-season. And we'll, you'll have more people willing to talk as that goes on. But something was so broken here that they made this decision now. Because even mm-hmm. making it mid-season... A little bit closer to All-Star break would have seemed like that's a more traditional time frame, you know? Um, But something something happened here. Absolutely something happened. And it just became, like, the doubts became too severe. And it's there on the court. I don't want to, like, overlook that. But the team's record was good. And if you... You could talk yourself into continuing to work it out, continue to talk to the guy... If he was the person you hired in the offseason and you continue to really, really believe in, and you're like, it's not clicking, it's not clicking, but I'm sold on this vision. And we can just, we can give the time because the results are actually good enough. The play may not be, but the results are going to have us in a position that this gets worked out. But clearly, I don't know. They just wasn't the coach, wasn't the guy they thought they were hiring, is the only way I, I could possibly put it because. There's an element of this beyond just what you're seeing on the court. You've got to feel that's factored into not the belief that what's happening now isn't good enough. That goes without saying, and Horst, of course, went and said that and not a whole lot more. But it's also that you believe there is no chance that this can get better. 
Like yes. th- that is that is the kind of the key detail at this point. Uh where do we where will we start? Where will we start on the the breaking down on this? Do you have any personal preference, Jordan? Oh. I don't know. I mean, there's let's, so many let's different start angles. With Griff- we got to start with Griffin, and we got to, yeah, yeah. I guess to start with Griffin, we got to go back to the higher, right? And to the higher and the fire, and I guess to start with Griffin, even you go back to Bud, and you go back to the decision to fire Bud. Um, I think in the last week, I've seen a lot of people suddenly, like, do complete U-turns on Bud. Just completely flipped the script. Uh, want Bud back, all that sort of thing. I that was never going to happen, and I honestly, uh, I think it would be a bad idea. <laughs> um, Bud might be a better coach for this current team than Doc Rivers, but there's more that goes into all of this, you know, in a dynamic sense. And I don't think bringing Bud back just, I don't think it makes sense or would have worked or would have fixed what is now a problem. And like, this is not a clean slate someone's even inheriting. This is not. Here's a training camp. Here's an off season. Let's talk through what kind of players you want to fill out the bench. This is like this is what you got, and it's not great right now. Fix it. Yeah. Um, the decision to fire Bud. It seems like the feeling was it had run its course, and part of that may have been personal. I don't say that to mean like there's great animosity. I. I don't really believe that. And I never feel like enough has come out to suggest that. But I think there's just there's a level of a level of familiarity after multiple years had developed, and when the results weren't there, there's suddenly a feeling of his voice being zoned out, not landing. Maybe the ideas weren't fresh enough. Part of how you solve that generally is like you turn over a team to keep the players fresh if a coach is there, and it's the same principles. And the books were very far from that. In fact, it's the kind of their most important players when Bud was there remained the players that had kind of been pretty core to what he'd been doing and core to the championship success. So that's one thing. That's a decision you make. And then we have the grand search. Um, I don't know the, I guess one place to dip our toe on this is we've always had this thing of, you know, Giannis picked Griffin. That line of reporting. Um, it's been an interesting week for the development of all of that. Giannis himself came out very strongly against that, but also in a what I was kind of a muddled message ultimately in an interview he gave, which after a game, after the coach being fired and put on the spot and knowing you are I I kind of I forgive that. I don't expect his messaging to be on point. He denied his involvement in that. Um the reporting does seem pretty strong that he, the level of involvement he definitely had in the process was being like, yeah, I'm not, not playing for Nick nurse. That's something that's really tough for us to kind of parse through right now. So like, was Adrian Griffin literally the not Nick nurse candidate as in, was he the compromise? We've had compromises. John Horst himself was a compromise. Compromise, yep. Um, but was it a case where they went through their process and Horst went through all the details and was like, Nick Nurse is the best coach for this organization? And then when candidates were put to Giannis, Giannis was like, well, let's first and foremost, forget about that guy. 
did it go from there? And then they're like, okay, well, what if it's someone who has been with Nurse, who might bring some of Nurse's philosophies, could build a relationship, you know, player development past. I could be wrong on all of that, but it's hard not to piece together and start to wonder, okay, was that kind of the level of where Griffin became the candidate? If there is truth to Giannis not wanting Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse being the preferred candidate of the hierarchy, was it to some extent, well, maybe Adrian Griffin is best of both worlds? If that's the case, I think that's really flawed process. And as we'll get into, there's certainly flawed process involved here. Um, do you have anything on that? First of all, like I, I, I don't really put too much thought or care all that much about the level of Giannis's involvement. I expect him to be consulted or notified at least, and I think that seems consistent with what has happened. The courtesy has been extended. Generally, the organization and Giannis have looked to paint it as kind of decisions are made, but just before we make this thing official, let's make sure. Giannis and Chris and Bud's case, as it was, the Breakfast Club. Um, don't hate Drew. Bud. Drew in Griffin's case. Yep. Um, Brooke? No? No. Uh, Brooke, wasn't, no. Brooke wasn't signed at the time. So, um, yeah, there was Chris, uh, but he was in those meetings. Yeah, we, knew, we all knew Chris was, was re-signing. Yeah. Um, that's kind of consistent, though, with what they've done. And that's yes, that's I, I I largely kind of take that at face value too. But that also, if it's not an official thing where Giannis is like, well, this is the coach I want for this reason. It gets really tough to even imagine how the process goes where you set Giannis up to talk to someone, right? In his house. In his house. And it's before the, the extension is signed as well. So you've even more reason to do that. But it's also... You've got to do that. You've got to give him that opportunity. I think he appreciates that. But even if it's just to connect on a human level, like, surely it's over. And Horst contacts him or an owner contacts him. So, what did you think? Yeah. What do you think? How'd you guys? He's a nice guy. He walks you, out. You like Adrian him? Griffin. Yeah, they're all like, so, so tell us. Um, and with that, then. What stock is put into Yana saying, you know, one thing, how strongly him just saying something, voicing it, it's entirely possible he does not feel like he is making decisions. And yet he expresses opinion from a position where he thinks he does not have the ultimate sway. And the books hear it and they go, Oh God, Yana said that, so that yeah, that's what he wants, and we gotta go with it. Which is where you get this place where he's like, I'm not making the decision at all the reporting is like, well, Yana said that. And it, that, in its own right, like, and we've seen the problems of this even with LeBron and well, the idea of GM LeBron. It just creates but it's a also, mess. It's, it creates it, a it's mess. not even it's not even about the coach. I mean, that was the kind of we saw this on a smaller scale, but as big with the day move, where it's like Giannis's comments. However, you believe he's putting pressure on the organization or stuff like that. When the whiff of, oh, you know, he's not fully bought in, or he's hoping that the rest of the organization is fully bought in on stuff. And they go out and make the move like that. And, you and make Hor that, Horst oh. himself was quoted like in the off seasons. Yeah, we, we hear it. Like when Yana said stuff, like he, he played it down, but he did acknowledge. Yeah, we hear that stuff. And yeah. sure, we pay attention. And Yana's 
Giannis's response to all that because it includes trading Drew Holiday is like, well, if I had known Drew was in that trade, I wouldn't trade him. Well, it's like, well, that's how the trade has to work. So that's where it's like the unre- unreliable narrator of it all. Well, it's, it's also is... a player not wanting to recognize the power they wield over. Let me like discard the term teammates to call them their friends, right? It's because yep. the element of Dame as well isn't just the comments that Giannis put, which kind of said, "Oh, could he could he be looking to go elsewhere?" It was that him and Dame had a good relationship, and there had been a mutual kind of thing for years. Of yeah, that'd be a, I'd like to play with that guy. So then you say those things, and you've already been. It's like, well, it's all out there. The pieces we just put them together. Giannis wants to play with Dame. He's worried about our talent right now. Let's go get Dame, and you know, there goes Drew. I like. I don't know. I don't know how to navigate that better, but it feels like anytime teams end up in that spot, it just ends poorly. There's only so long you can keep running on that treadmill where you're listening to your superstar and you're trying to do their bidding, but you're also like in a very clear-eyed way doing what is best for the team. Yeah. I don't know. Just think, I know this, this is very different to a normal job, but it will be wild for you or I to have a vote or to have any input on the hiring of like, not a colleague, like not a peer on the same level, not a subordinate, your boss to just be like, yeah, let me talk to like that. Just on a general human level is insane. And that creates like, we all know that there is no one bigger within the books organization than Giannis. Like Giannis, Giannis is a, don't like saying about any team in any sport, but Giannis is bigger than the franchise. It's It's, still different when you actually kind of manifest that when he is having a say in the person who's going to be his boss (laughs) in the person who sometimes has got to be like, Giannis, shut up. You don't know what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. And you'll see that it's the best thing to do for the team. I'm not. I there, there are things I will blame the books for. I'm not blaming them for how difficult that dynamic is, but I do think that is one of like the clear sources of the problem here. And it's not about it's not about blaming the books for that. It's not about blaming Giannis for that. They're just in this weird situation where the books are like trying really hard to impress him at all times and trying to parse through anything he might have ever said and what might he be thinking because we need to keep him here because that's how we keep winning. I mean, that was the only thing that they could cling to after losing the way that they did to the Heat, and then you move on from Bud. I mean, I think I've read a lot of things, and I've tried to kind of compile thoughts about, you know, everything over the last, it's not even just the last 54 hours or whatever. It's the last (laughs) six months, seven months. And it's, to me, you brought up Bud, like that is obviously the, starting point but as much as fans and like we want bud back or like that thought prevailed for a brief amount of time before doc was even in the picture none of that comes up like none of that is being brought up as like no it's like that did run its course and i think from where from going to that point and all the speculation about where do the Bucks move on from him? What do they do? How do they possibly 
you know I mean, there's all these plates that you're spinning in the air after such a massive loss like that. And it just, it kind of just reinforces like I, no one, it was the worst time for something like that to happen because one, I mean, clearly you had a successful season. You're baking on this team being the way it was built. You thought it could win a championship. And when you fall short of that, you examine everything and things, the answers that you're seeking, you can't find them in succession. So you, you have to go out and get a new coach and the attachment to bud, a championship winning coach and someone that Horst worked wonderfully for five years. They had a very share. They had a very true and shared vision of how to work that or build up the team. When you lose that, and clearly, I think, and rightfully so, you extend that out to Giannis because, A, this is his team. B, he's been increasingly comfortable taking on, you know, questions of, oh, how do you, or what is his opinion on personnel decisions, coaching decisions, all that stuff. Like, looking for that North Star and all this, and then... The other big thing that is increasingly coming up in any thought they have is that Jimmy Haslam buys Mark Lazarus' share of this. He bought it, what, January, February of last year? And you have that loss, and you don't have any attachment to Bud. It's like, yeah, well, let's get rid of him. He, You've belt, been through this road before. Let's let's park the owner part because I I think that is a whole strand and maybe we'll leave that to the end because it's the toughest to get through. But I also do think I I don't think anyone is really talking about that in the way that possibly we should. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not hinting at like the Jimmy Haslam. There's there's more to that. There is a the dynamic change and the departure of Lazary is not a non-factor. It is. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What I want to kind of continue to pick apart, I think the, the interesting thing about Bud and the decision to move on from Bud, and I feel like I said this on a pod at a time, but it might have been more tightly focused. It might have been, like, say, about Giannis, and say about if, if Giannis hadn't, if Giannis felt like, this has run its course with this guy, let's just go get someone else, which... I'm being more flippant than I undoubtedly he was, but I think really honestly across the board, and I've been thinking about this in the last few days, I think there was a level of 
naivety within the books about what it meant to replace Bud and how easy that would be. Um, and that's not just maybe an underestimating, which this is not just like this is true for fans too. We know all about this. Everyone just wanted Bud fired, wanted him fired, thought he was terrible. And my word of caution, that was always every team hates their coach, and there's levels to that. And the levels of that are generally tied to well, how good is your team? And the books were really, really good. Yeah. And you find yourself with a lesser coach and you're not so good, God, things get scary in a hurry. But when you look at the the various individuals within the books, you look at Giannis, you look at Chris, you look at John Horst, you look at the ownership group, and we can include we can include Mark Lazary in that on the upward curve. He's obviously not in the point where the decision happens. So Giannis and Chris have had God, it's a, it's crazy. The amount of coaches they've had as like books are now like multiplying within the space of a few months. So yes, they both came in under Larry Drew. They had a relatively long tenure by NBA like measures with Jason Kidd. And then they have Bud. And to some level, there is like it was far from linear when you zoom in. Trust us on that. If you weren't watching the time, trust us on that. But zoomed out years later, like long past the kid era too, it feels almost linear. Like they did get much better under kid for one year and then it fell apart, but they did like the leap the team took from the Larry Drew team that kid that Giannis and Chris found themselves on to begin with to that first season under kid. That's like stage one of reimagining, okay, who the books can be and who this team can be. Yep. And they had massive expectations that they couldn't come close to meeting and it fell apart with Kid. And really all parts of that fell apart. But that's one coaching change those guys saw. Okay, we had Larry Drew, we had the Kid. For everything else there and for all the personal elements, the team got better. Yeah. Like they're, they're at least. The, the peak of the team under Kid was higher than the peak of the team under Larry Drew. For sure. That is undoubted, right? <laughs> no no question about that. Bud comes in. Exponential growth. Immediately. Like, to the moon, as the weirdos on Twitter would say, Jordan. Uh, the books take off into a different stratosphere. They achieve, like, everything you could want to achieve. Giannis and Chris, all-star appearances at the years for both guys in a relative sense. Like, Chris, when you consider who he was at Larry Drew time, to get to the place where he was a multiple-time all-star, wild. Yeah. Giannis, keep clocking those up. Multiple MVPs, defensive player of the year. They both land the big one. They win a championship. Things turn sour. I, I get, like, I'm not saying this as if, like, they're... I'm not trying to paint these people as stupid as if it just doesn't occur to them, but there is something natural for them to think well, like, sure, we'll make, if the team makes a change and there's a new coach, like, it's probably going to be a good thing, because it's been a good thing in the past. If we want to go the other way around, honestly, the same applies for the owners. Like, the owners time my maps very closely to those players, so <laughs> they inherit Larry Drew, and Larry Drew 
is not long for this world under the new ownership group in very well documented and you know cloak and dagger circumstances jason kidd makes a grand power play and becomes the head coach of the milwaukee books <laughs> the coach the owners end up you know buzz it out oh playoff team with a new coach we hired again you get the rush before it goes down and you go from there and you hire bud oh it works out you win a championship in between that to get to to get from kid to bud you make an all-time mess of a general manager search. All-time mess. And, like, I mentioned as a compromiser, but that is really, like, it is... It is underselling how crazy it was when John Horst emerged as the person who was going to be general manager for that search, seen as he was, like, not part of the search. Like, no matter yes. what anyone says now, no one went into that process being like, well, it could be John. They just botched the whole thing. It was full of internal strife, differing opinions on who should get the job. And ultimately, John Horst lands on the spot. What happens with John Horst? John Horst makes a series of really strong decisions that pay off. There are decisions that didn't pay off in there, but when the ceiling, like when the upside on how big your wins are, like his bets paid out big time. Yes. Brooklyn. Brooke Lopez, but, and we can keep going like from, from Bledsoe, and then ultimately get it. Bledsoe turns into Drew Holiday. Like just the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of continue to upscale, upscale, upscale this team. Right, getting Bobby Portis in, and Bobby Portis was clearly, if anything, maybe like his ability was showcased more in other places. But the questions over his attitude, what kind of, what could he do in a role? You got to work that out. You get Pat Connaughton for next to nothing. You know, the coach helps and you get to a place. He's his key player. All these things. I I just feel like everyone at like it built to a point where they haven't had the experience. No one in the building. I don't mean not literally. I'm sure there are people there in basketball ops who've been in some pretty scary situations around the league. But like the key figures had not been in a position where they've had like a coaching hire go wrong before it was really positive. That's a really weird spot. And I just, I, I think they underestimated how easy it would be to just plug a new coach in. And maybe part of that is buying too much into all the flaws that, you know, all of the media had picked holes in for years over, Bud. and God, if they had, if John Horse has a secret Twitter account, I'm sure he's seen no shortage of that over the years. And they just went, you know what? We can get a coach in and we can be better than this. Because this guy, as everyone used to say, he's leaving so much on the table, right? All these easy, easy points just waiting for Bud to go and pick them off. And he's not doing it. I, I really think they underestimated just how difficult it is to have one of like the top five coaches in the NBA to coach your top five team in the NBA and they just thought well this guy is like highly thought of sure he's impressed us let's let's go and hire him and none of it I like I'll again I'm not this is not Jesus Christ there's some victory laps going on the weird weird stuff going on in the world of Booksland lately this is not that I was I never bought Griffin I didn't buy his resume I didn't there was nothing that I saw in him as a personality that stood out, I had 
very notable reservations in other departments, which we don't even have to get into any of that anymore. We did at the time. But no part of it just stood out to me as one, this is like, this is a guy you've got to hire. You've got the chance to hire this guy, you've got to hire him. And like in saying that, he's famously been passed over just about as much as anyone for NBA jobs. So lots of franchises went into it and went, well, we don't have to hire this guy. He's not compelling us to hire him. As good as he might be as a coach, as great as he might be on a staff. So you have all of that. And then he's your guy. And he's not the, he's not the logical like progression from Bud. Like, uh, I was pro Kenny Atkinson, a name who we haven't mentioned, but actually came up in reports this week as someone who was also being considered as, you know, whether anyone was really being considered to move so fast. I don't know what level of agenting played here, but Kenny Atkinson just, was a name let's just say that came up, it's, right? It's a lot easier to hire someone that does not have a job rather than someone that is currently employed. I don't know if that's true in this case. Did you see Doc Rivers' contract? You're telling me you can't I buy did. Kenny Atkinson out of his contract and save a ton of money? I... Yeah, trust I me. Mean, they, they, they could. If they wanted Kenny Atkinson, they could have got Kenny Atkinson in a hurry. Not, and also that is not how the NBA works. Head coaches do not stand in the way of their assistant coaches getting head coaching opportunities. Like in, in oh no no I yeah I don't think that's even you in, know like an organization yeah. style like Bud Bud got his first head coaching job as lots of coaches have. He was interviewing during the NBA Finals. Yeah. Like to go and take another job with the Hawks, like that's and that's kind of like pretty standard stuff. Um, I I was pro Kenny Atkinson because I thought here's someone who came from the Bud Tree, shared a lot of the same ideas. There will be elements of his coaching that would look like Bud's coaching, but he had also gone off and he'd been a head coach and done some really interesting stuff and had some success. Honestly, with the roster, he had some real success. Uh, before <laughs> Sean Marks and those above him decided to build an entirely different type of nets, and that has worked out great. But Kenny Atkinson had a good thing going there, and like beyond that, he's gone and he's picked up really interesting assistant coaching experience. He's been around good teams, top-end players, legendary coach. That to yeah, me felt like... Yeah. That to me felt like the as close to a best of both worlds. Like, that's not to say there was no risk involved in that. Of course there is. You're putting any coach into this situation with this level of talent and this pressure. I mean, the odds are against them succeeding. That's the reality of it. In the NBA, as stacked as it is. With Griffin, though, there was none of that. None of the stuff just immediately screamed out, this is the guy. And what's more interesting, even in hindsight, is we look at what happened when he came in and we look at the defense and we look at the fact, what was it, four games in that the senior players went to him and were like, we need Rook. to drop again. Yeah. So was his pitch that I'm going to come and I'm going to play Toronto Raptors defense? And did the Bucks just blindly go, oh yeah, that sounds good. They they do some interesting defensively and not like think of, well, hold on a minute there, but our personnel, you know, we're not exactly Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, you know. This isn't the same group of guys as that, you know. How's that going to work? Where does Brooke fit into this? How do we... Mar- should we not... 
should we not be re-signing Brooke? Should we should we be planning a different like I that immediately doesn't make sense. And the fact that he was rigid to that and the players then had to turn him around on it very quickly. That is telling in its own way. And I'll I'll pass this to you for your thoughts on really all of the kind of early Griffin stuff or anything I've said before now. The one thing the most striking thing, everyone has focused on what has gone wrong on the court for very obvious reasons. I think the most striking thing for me about Griffin as a coach is we hear all of the stories and we will hear lots more about Griffin behind the scenes. And that seems like a a big presence, right? Possibly a, a commanding presence, someone who is sure of themselves. I mean, he's proven to be open to changing things, but certainly I I don't think he was necessarily going around with uncertainty. He had ideas that to begin with, at least it was like, well, this is what we're doing. And I am the head coach. We don't need to, at least not yet go back into Terry Stotsgate, but, but it, but that is very, I, it is very instructive of how everything played out. What, would feel like a let me let me year. finish this because I want to toss that back to you on this. So yes. that, because that that incident is maybe the best example. That happens. You will in an Olive Garden. You will attest to this. Uh, I I probably did not share the extent to that at the time. It, I was not popular in our group chat. That I thought that was disastrous. I was like, this is bad, bad. You were just so busy laughing. Which is honestly a much. Oh, I thought it was bad, but I thought it was I hilarious. But, but right, the so that happens, and we're getting ready for the season to start. And you've got okay, Adrian Griffin is the head coach, and you then start to shape your picture of Adrian Griffin, the head coach. And the positive way to interpret that is lots of people tried at the time. I was like, oh, this guy means business, and it's his team, and he's got his ideas, and he's not going to be told what to do by anyone. And. That set me up even more to expect like a presence about him. And what shocked me most is there was zero presence. This is a big guy too. This is a former NBA player. And there have been all these clips, whether it's like Giannis getting a foul trouble and I'm looking to sub him out and Giannis being like, what the hell? No, I'm not sitting sub out. Put me back in. Put me on someone like the so not gonna pick up fouls. Um whether it's Giannis drawing up plays, <laughs> doing X's and O's, whatever it might be. And then even the media persona, Griffin was very far from convincing. And like, he, he wasn't a strong presence externally. And I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that would have been the case inside, certainly by way of some of the conflict. But even that creates like a, an inconsistency of voice that I don't doesn't feel like players are gonna love. You know, the guy who goes out to the media and is like kind of really quietly and he's not saying anything and it's just kind of but then he's like he's authentically like that on the touch on the sideline. Like it's not I it's it's the part that I can't work out because I really I thought of one if there's gonna be one thing like and it was not something that I was into. I was not like, this is the kind of coach the books need. But I thought there would be a level of hard taskmaster. And even to some extent, that's why a lot of players don't like Nick Nurse. Because Nick Nurse has a reputation for 
he can be an asshole because in some ways he's like he carries himself in a certain way he has an ego he comes in he makes decisions and i thought part of that was going to be the griffin experience and it was very far from that and then when you add that to well what the hell is adrian griffin's team on the court like what is their identity the whole picture gets very weak right yeah and and that's the thing like that's to me the disconnect between that terry stotts incident like that blow up Terry Stotts, like, not exactly, like, that's a that's an alpha kind of guy in his own right, right? An old school basketball coach has been around and done it all. Coached under George Carl, so he, he has been around some megalomaniacs. <laughs> I honestly, I hadn't even really thought of that, but the, like, sticking but out with George like, Carl can... for a long time, and I said, but just before a season <laughs> starts, he was like, forget nope. it. I can't deal with this guy. I'll, I'll listen to George Carl for seasons at a time. I'm not gonna listen to this guy. Um, that's weird, though, right? And it doesn't even again in trying to. I still feel like I'm trying to understand why the books chose this guy, and what because he showed us didn't give any answer, any hint of the answer. I think when we originally, and part of, I mean, part of the thing that I remember talking about post bud getting fired dismissed whatever you want to call it, them hiring griffin is that they're very they were using this capsule of it's april may june these are the three months that matter the most and they're by their disappointing returns since winning the championship a couple of years ago that is what they fixated on the most. They wanted to be this flexible thing. And we talked about with Griffin specifically that there's this system. And so obviously with a coach, you're talking about the system. How does he want to play? What You see his mind through how the team plays. Well, the Bucks, it was very hard to figure out. Well, if you're, things are going good, but it's so colossally bad on one end of the floor. And players are openly saying this is the right way to play with the team that we have built. And there's this constant, I mean, there's been more details that have emerged, but we knew about the in-season tournament loss to the to the Pacers and calling out, and Bobby Porter is calling out players and or coach and the effort level of players and all this stuff. And to me, I feel like, it's clear they felt like this tension was going to kind of yield into something more fruitful of that they could find a middle ground, a common ground of how things could work. And for a team that boasted that they had no a-holes, you know, in Bud's first year, and that they took a point of pride in the culture that they built and kept people accountable, but they didn't have to do it in a way that felt like they were alienating one another. They clearly alienated, or the person that they in, in tasked to move, push this team forward after everything that happened last year, he alienated everybody else. I, I, even if he didn't alienate them, Jordan, I think it's very clear because, like, we, again, if we want to take the comparison, which is what we can use for these players, it's like, how, how did they talk about Bud, and how did Bud talk with them? Like, Bud is not, like... Let's remember Bud the personality and Bud the presence. Now, again, Bud is an old-school basketball guy who's been around a lot. He's been under 
opt for more of his career than anything else. Yeah. But but still has a way about him that is I would say on the slightly gentler side on the NBA scale, it seems, right? Yes. They respected Bud. They respected Bud and they didn't respect Griffin. Like I, I do think that's what it comes down to. Like the Bobby Portis thing as an example, like I think that's the for something like that to come up, for Bobby to make comments like that, for Giannis in a different way to make his comments later. You're talking about a coach who hasn't he hasn't like asserted himself. He hasn't made himself. I am the guy here. We're all behind me. Like people feel like they can step out of line. Whatever they want. Talk out because they're like, this guy is this guy isn't it. He's a goner. I'm gonna be here longer than him. And why would he? Why listen to him anyway? What has he ever done? Like the last uh, game, it's gotta of be an Griffin's, The last game of Griffin's time in Milwaukee. There's a long shot during that second Pistons game, where a game that the Bucks barely beat the Pistons. Giannis is on the bench drawing up a play. He's drawing up a set, and Thanasis is over his shoulder, like looking. Uh, intently and apparently there's been I again rounding up all the kind of autopsies on on Griffin's time in Milwaukee um, which I feel like that's probably the more fitting word with just where we're at it was happy in the second game after they got blown up by the Hawks and the you know effort levels not there the defense certainly was not there and I think that to me is like I I like for Griffin, the, and... the thing to, ref- to the thing to emphasize on that too is Giannis has like historically not been that guy to a fault as well. Like everyone, yes. like would pick on Bud. Why aren't you? Why aren't you running pick and roll with Giannis? Why isn't Giannis on Jimmy Butler? All of that stuff, right? And Giannis would be like, "I'm gonna do what the coach is gonna tell me to do," and people would be like, "Ah, oh, Bud." There is something to that, though, and that Giannis did actually believe in the coach enough to do that, too, as opposed to <laughs> give me the clipboard. I'm putting that celebrity game coaching experience to use here, and I'm going to start drawing some plays. Like, that is the complete opposite to anything we've ever seen him do, and he's actually been vocally opposed to that kind of approach. Yes. I think, to me, that's... it. For someone like Adrian Griffin, whether you felt like he was the right man or not, it's like, this is your opportunity. And you didn't really have a pulse on the team. You didn't, you had of your highest assistant leave. He, you know what I mean? Like, you have to wear that. He, he, he like, will. but that's the, because that's even... Again, like at the time, if anyone wants to spin as that as Terry Stotts left, Terry Stotts was like, Terry Stotts was pushed out because Adrian Griffin could have just diffused that situation. Or even after it blew up, could have immediately apologized and been like, this is early days, Terry. I'm still getting used to this. Look, I really respect you. That won't happen again. And that thing is quashed and you move on. Yeah. And he didn't do that. Like, which again, like that's okay. And, like, and, love it or hate it, that's a certain kind of guy. But where was the carry true of that guy? Or like maybe we're just overlooking to some extent too. Like, was that a demonstration of something that he lost the players that day? Like, did the players go when Terry Stotts walk out? Like, oh, this is this is ridiculous. 
Like, what the hell? Why are we losing a former head coach, a highly respected assistant, and let's not forget Damian Lillard is there. Like, so does that become two weeks what? after he gets traded? What the hell is this guy weeks? doing that we're letting Terry Stotts walk out the door when we're trying to win a championship? Like, that isn't really an angle I've talked much about or that I feel like we've talked about. That could be something that, like, the actual people in the building that day were like, what's this guy doing? Yeah, I think that is ultimately the starting point of anything. And, too, like, if there was simmering tension between Griffin and Stotts that no one saw coming to an incident like this boiling over and forcing Stotts to leave, how does front office not kind of try to help cool the waters too or like that's what makes it such a strange thing because we all thought like oh this is a perfect way of doing things you have a veteran mind a keen basketball observer and everything like that you get the player that he's coached the longest in his 11 years of being the nba (laughs) be like it 20 days or whatever it was of, of trading for dame he leaves like that is remarkable really remarkable and it's i i don't know like there's i i i it's i'm almost speechless about just trying to like parse out like in many years from now we're well there's gonna be a lot more stories but like it just kind of shows that like there's just this there's nothing connecting here and Partially, that's by design. It's partially not to just throw Adrian Griffin completely under the bus because obviously John Horst and his media availability um, Wednesday night before the Bucks win over the Cavs, he did not entertain anything to the to to the masses that this is all on Adrian Griffin and stuff like that. Everybody has to wear it. Yeah, but okay. I, I wanted to kind of transition to that, and you give me say forward to talk about Horst because I mean that's. The bridge to the bridge from Griffin to uh to Doc is to talk about horse and the ownership and the decision making process here. Can I give you one reason why John Horse like may not necessarily have been like throwing Adrian Griffin like into the fire on that? I have a I have an idea, but I would I'm very intrigued by what you'd have to say. He's gotta protect his own neck. Like boom. His name, it's the biggest tire about... of your biggest decision of his career. I mean, we talk about trades, we talk about everything else. Like, we can't. I said to you before we started, like, we, I feel across all TSGM podcasts, were very vocal about in, in all of the episodes we did, talking about candidates and crossover stuff we did, debating the pros and cons. Or, like, it's not only the biggest decision that John Horst has to make, it's the biggest coaching decision in the history of the Milwaukee Books. Yes. It's, it's the decision that, will I hope I hope it doesn't ultimately show this way but it had the potential to be like the decision that means you look at this team in the history books and they're a team that won one championship or they're a team that won two or three championships right everything hinged on it everything hinged on it now something's changed since and maybe you've got a lifeline some other ways you know Dane might give you that whether it was the feeling at the time about Griffin, whether it's Dame, whether it's a combination of all those Giannis extending, okay, it extends your window, but you've put yourself in a really tough spot because you've got the biggest decision you've ever had to make and I think the biggest coaching hire 
in the history of the franchise catastrophically wrong. And John Horse cannot come out and be like, yeah, not only is the defense terrible and is the offense not really meshing, but you want to see behind the scenes. This guy is really tough to work for. And something else I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about Bud. Bud and Horse had a really collaborative relationship. 100%. And Horse thought... That extended beyond... Like, just the coach and GM, where Bud was clearly like, I know all coaches have some involvement. They show up at a certain point in the draft process. I know we don't get to see much of the draft process either. (laughs) But it was always entirely clear just how Bud was trusted as a partner in that until, I guess, the point where he was no longer trusted as the coach of the team. Again, that might come to a level of naivety or taking things for granted. Horse might have thought, great, here's a new coach. I like him as a coach, and I'm sure this is just going to be it. You know, perfect partnership. And could have found in other ways, too, that we may never know about, hey, this isn't what it was. As in, this is working a different way that I didn't expect, that I hadn't factored into who I was hiring. Why would I hire a person X, person Y? And honestly, that might be reflective of hiring someone like Doc Rivers. Someone who will be a bigger voice in the room on all things and particularly if you give a contract to that and has like a wealth of NBA experience and like for all of the jokes, everything like NBA community, the level of respect that's there for Doc Rivers from his playing career to his coaching career, you know, he was president of basketball operations at the Clippers as well. Wasn't, didn't he have the dual title? Um, yep. His media career, everything, college career. Look, we've got the works. I think it's a lot easier to imagine you're talking like respected, like senior figure of a coach slotting back into a role where it's like, yeah, he's the head coach, but also he's someone who, you know, he's, he's an ear I can turn to when I want to run something by on this or when we're making these decisions, I will value his input in a certain way. That's very different to rookie head coach. I think that's possibly another element of it. Um, I I just like where where it falls on horse. I mean, horse has to wear it because it's it's everything is very much being put forward, and certainly the owners don't do media like they used to, where it does feel like everything has been handed over to horse and he. Honestly, the last when's the last time we saw other than was it Haslam's? There was a press conference of some sort around Haslam, right? Was there? Did Eden's not do a post-game availability or something? It wasn't. There was a profile on Haslam. General Sentinel probably name wrote something, but I don't remember like a formal press conference. Um, No, the last time like the owners have been on record was post after her Cole died. When's the last time they've been on record about like the books though? Did we get it? We didn't get an end of season, which was which was always the of... traditional end of season. Yeah, the last and I, I know been after, but they're like it is worth us noting as he's forgetting now the tragedy, obviously the Bud experience around that time and decision coming there, and that may have just kind of put a halt to that because what are you going to do? Answer question of the disappointing season, but the future head coach and he's just suffered a massive personal tragedy. Yep. Um. Also, I'll just. It's a side note, but 
I don't know if the books and Bud finish on good terms or bad terms, but honestly, if know. that was me and I'd gone through something like that and the timing of that, I was fired. I would not be looking to go back to that place. Uh, in fact, I'd be like, screw that place and those people. Like, it wasn't exactly the peak of uh, empathy and humanity. Am I saying that? Like, that's how that's how this should no, be. No, I, I think how, that I think I'm that not is... like that's. But I'm saying, if from a personal perspective, like I'm sure, I'm sure that probably rankles and stung a little bit more. I brought you guys a championship, and you you fired me at that time. Um, it, I don't think that's something to kind of just kind of cast aside. To get back on topic, whether it's whether it's the owners, whether it's Horst, I maybe to some extent it would be nice to get some greater clarity to that. Like we really do not understand the inner workings of the books in the way that we used to, and part of that is by design by Horst because he likes to keep everything so shut off. That is a okay. That is fantastic. Great when you're winning. Things start to turn. It does not work in the same way because, and honestly, in horse case, it won't work to his advantage because there is the growing kind of, okay, where's accountability on this or like where we need someone to speak for this. And right now it is only horse speaking. Maybe he has full authority, like Aston Villa are having a great season. Maybe Wes Edens is more focused on that part of his sporting empire or other business interests. Uh, I, Jimmy Haslam is very much the he's gonna see the books play when they're in Cleveland. So that is still kind <laughs> of that is where he is. And Dynan has always been the lower profile and in some ways felt like the more absent owner. You and I have mentioned it many times before. We feel like one of the more interesting owners anytime he does speak. That is not being all that frequent. And it's he has not been all that visible either for a long time fasciatelli like that's its own thing like <laughs> I, I just there is a there is a gap there like I've got oh my greater... god oh my god i okay i'm sorry there cool. can i just I, something just came to mind right and it's gonna make me laugh as i explain this well, remember, there's people listening as well. It's not just me. It's so me. the all-star selections are happening as we're recording. If anybody wants to, oh. Giannis and Dame are starters. Huh. Oh, I, I know what you're going with this. Doc Rivers is going to be the coach of the, the Eastern Conference team. Yeah. Did you not know this already? Jordan is the reason Jordan is silent is because he is laughing so <laughs> so hard. But yeah, oh Doc my Rivers God, my is head going. Is... Is going to the All Star in a couple of weeks if the books stay second in the East. How is this not being talked about more? It has. I've seen tweets about it. No, it is not. I am. I am. I just I'm, a... I'm, I'm not reacting like you. I saw it yesterday. That is hilarious. The Bucks are going to be the representative of the Eastern Conference coaches. Because you can't send, and they can't just send Joe Mazzula twice in a row. Just... Uh, Honestly, it's... I'd be really glad to see Doc Rivers over Joe Mazzula if I was on that team too. For for all the for all Doc's uh, own flaws, God, he's not going to be doing 
Oh, he did backflips in the the hallway, is he? Um, I'm I'm tweeting this as I'm as you're talking, so I tell you, just... people people know. But listen, get those tweets off. Yeah, um, where was I? There is a gap. A gap emerged beyond that, and that gap is Mark Lazary. Mark Lazary selling his shares in the team at this time, as you mentioned, things changed, but ends up fired. I always thought the Lazary conversation was very interesting. Um, I always thought he would became something of like a scapegoat in a way that never added up to me, in part possibly because of. I don't know, Alex being active on Twitter and in some ways being like a voice of the franchise that was there and accessible to people in everyday sense. Uh, and I think the other part of it is Mark actually being an active voice of the franchise in the media as well, whether that's like, oh, he's on CNBC or whether that is like if ESPN were doing a big piece or something, he was always most likely to be the one on the record. The reality of We'll we'll continue to call it like the current ownership group, even though we're through a new iteration. It was well documented at the time when Kid was there that there were splits and differences of opinions. And I, I think if you kind of look back and you look at some of the decision making through time, there was always this conversation. I should explain a bit more because maybe people listening weren't around back then and don't remember or weren't as locked <laughs> in or remember the ins and outs of when like the books were not this great team with the potential even to kind of go and do stuff. It was more like they were widely thought of as a mess. Like the rolling governorship where it would rotate between Lazary and Edens was seen as like a punchline where I frequently remember like, say you listen to the low posts and a couple of times a season, there'd be significant debate and discussion over like what is this insane model where they're passing control of the franchise back and forth and the kind of the casting vote for whatever we want to talk about with all of that the reality is the books were at their most successful and were always at their most stable when Lazary was the governor yeah. is there coincidence in that I'm sure there is some element of it but more of the chaos tended to be in the kind of the Eden's windows and in now talking about an ownership group that's quieter than ever it's like yeah the person who was kind of most comfortable and not in a like I don't feel like Mark Lazary went out of his way to be like I own the Milwaukee books talk to me about it but obviously a very well connected guy in a lot of ways found himself in spots to talk and he would talk and quite openly and he'd own mistakes, and he'd talk about what they're doing right, and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't help, Jordan, or maybe I shouldn't, I couldn't help but think today about Wes Eden's famous um, Media Day quote. Oh, yes. It wasn't even Media Day, it was it was after they hired Horst, and that was the immediately what I had? thought... It was immediately what I after what I thought after seeing everything go on with Doc. This is the you know the shot at the Sixers and the we're more focused on results than process. I don't remember exactly what it was. So I'm the guys in Philly keep talking about the process. But, I want to keep talking about results. 
Well, the book's process has been a complete and utter shambles in the hiring of Adrian Griffin, it feels like, to have arrived at that point. And honestly, in what they're doing now. Uh, that's not even a... I'm not casting like a judgment on Doc Rivers. Just you went through this long search for a head coach. Doc Rivers was never on the list, right? Doc Rivers did not interview for this job in the offseason. I'm right in saying that. No, no. How and even if hell? I wanted, even if I wanted to search that, I don't think I think everything would be inundated with what's happening. Yeah, you wouldn't. Now would not be the time. Yeah. How does a guy you don't even consider who was available? Yes, very. How does he not even factor in the off season? And he's immediately hired mid season, and he's not just hired. He's hired true to 20, 26, 27. I was like, is that right? This is a three yes. and a half year contract. Yes. Wild. Insane. Now, this is already, we've had internal discussions amongst ourselves, GSPNers today on this kind of thing. And I think, while it's valid, Doc, Doc Rivers had so much leverage in this situation. The Bucks, after all, are the team without a head coach in the middle of a season thinking that they should win a championship. <laughs> That's a lot of leverage for someone else. The only reason to give in to that or the only thing that really empowers him to make that kind of maximal leverage is if you have no other candidates that you're happy with hiring. Mm. And I don't know why that would be the case. Why is that the case? Why has this happened? You've had one disastrous hiring and immediately you are locked into a coach for three and a half years with a borderline historic contract. Uh, I don't know if historic. I would. I, I mean, I, it's only it's only not historic because of like Monty Williams and Spolstra now too, and they are two very different things as precedents. Yeah, but Doc's got the clout. It's I, I, would you, regardless. Would you, would you so as a football the, man? Yes, this is you, just real, real football. You're talking, right? Yes, yes. My would you agree? At West Eden's football. Okay, yeah. Wouldn't this be like you sack a manager and say Jose Mourinho? Yeah, good. it's probably going to happen for some team in the next week. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because it always happens with Mourinho. My books should have called <laughs> Jose Mourinho. Yeah, but that's that's what we're talking about here. Like that is the kind of you know level of where they're at. I think there's something to the comparison in terms of, like, the stature. I also just think the closed-off nature of the NBA makes it very difficult to compare. And funnily enough, process, I think, matters a lot more in your NBA hire than it does 
in soccer soccer around the world. Yes, I, I would because I would agree. It is easier to it is easier to get a manager like to hire the wrong guy and just uh, he's gone and bring someone else in. Like it happens all the time. You could have teams who do go through three managers a season. And yeah, it's not like it's not like it's unremarkable, but it's not like oh my god, what's going on here? Um but the closed nature of basketball where really there is one true show in town. I think makes that very different because you always have a wider pool of candidates who would kill for that job. There are only 30 of them. Yeah. And that allows you to then say, okay, is it, do we want like the experienced guy who's won before? Do we want the up and comer? What is the kind of vision we want? It just, it's much easier to kind of tailor things towards that. And I also think things can move a lot faster in the NBA trades, for example, allow things to move faster because you can get rid of one problem and bring in someone entirely different to like transform your team in one go where they're separate transactions in football. You've got a bigger squad, right? So yeah, like all of these things make it quite different. I understand that kind of hire more in soccer than I do in basketball in the NBA to be specific. I just think it's an entirely different ball game where you're, it's literally an entirely different ball game, but <laughs> I, I think the kind of factors that go into deciding not just who might we like as our coach, but what kind of coach might we like. I think the NBA allows you to be more ideological. Now, the books are in a spot where that's tougher because ultimately, screw your ideology, particularly at this point. It's different in the summer. Screw your ideology now. you got to win. Like you got to win and it's got to look better. That's, yeah. that's the ideology that the books care about now it's like can you do better than Adrian Griffin and just keep on winning um, I I just I again I was not in on Griffin from the start but once they hired him I was like okay let's see he could be good it's no guarantee it's going to be a disaster didn't feel like that for sure and you got to see it and we talked about him we talked about it then we talked about it two weeks ago and it was like i feel like he's gonna get the season you gotta give him the season and you know what if he's not the guy this is a lost season and everyone might hate that that might pain everyone because the pressure the timeline you know you've got this window and there is a chance that you burn this season the day you hired adrian griffin like that that may ultimately be That's how this season ends up looked at. But it's not because they. it's like he's decided in what is almost, I say he for John Horse, but honest, again, it's, that's not entirely fair. It's Horse, it's ownership, it's that collectively. So it's Peter Fagan. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like they're trying to rescue it in season. I get the desire for that. That's certainly better than a lost season. But the cost of doing that is tying yourself into something Let's say, uh, and let me put this in like the rudest possible terms, which isn't necessarily even aligned with my feelings on this. Let's say Doc Rivers is who everyone says he is, right? Let's say things I will, I think things will get better. I think early on, players, Doc is a player's coach until he's not a player's coach. Doc is a very amiable guy until you fall out with him and he decides, no, you're not the one for me anymore. 
I think his demeanor, his energy, and also just like his experience, his that's a guy with presence, right? That's a yes. guy with presence. That's a guy who he's got a championship ring too. Like they can't be like, well, we got a championship ring. What are you? You got an assistance championship ring? That's not the same thing. It's like Doc is Doc is like, yeah, I won this ring with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. You think like you think you intimidate me, Chris Middleton? It's like it's not it's not work at the same way. So there's just this attempt to be like, we can save it. He can save it. But if if he is who everyone says he is, this season will go as it will go. I would say they'll be a little bit better. Maybe even a significant amount better. Like, they won't be completely miserable to watch, which is kind of how I have found it most of the time lately. It Certainly the last week it was horrifying. They'll, they'll get to the playoffs <laughs> in a position where we could be more optimistic. Like, you know what? Talent on this team playing kind of well. Maybe Doc can do it. And then Doc falls on his face in typical, I don't know, they're up 3 nothing on the Sixers and they lose in seven games, right? Just the, the Doc River special, okay? Like, let's say that happens. Ultimately, there will be a Doc Rivers failing that is clear and evident to everyone there. But everyone, and I mean everyone, I mean even his biggest critics, no one will be able to just be like, Doc's got to go. It's like, it's purely on Doc. It will be, yeah, but Adrian Griffin had training camp and this season, you know, they were they were brought in to be Adrian Griffin's team and they were drilled to be that team and Doc never had a... Never had a real opportunity, you know. Giannis and Dame, they're starters in the All Star game now, so they're gone. You know, at a, a time when other guys will go on. I've seen a lot of that. Of oh, the books should use All Star break. Guys go on vacation. It's a long season. That's sort of their only opportunities. And the mm-hmm. books hope it's a really long season. So all of that happens, and if this thing goes bad, we might all be able to see it's Doc's fault, and also not be able to pin it fully on Doc. And what does that do? That brings me into next year and you go again and meanwhile you are paying a ton of money I don't, do you have the numbers up in front of you what his contract was 40 million dollars um, wasn't it true to 2026 20, 27 so I don't know we'll say we're saying 10 to 11 million ish more 12 million per year probably and then we're on a, a prorated version for the rest of this season like a, a create a ton of money like up until literally the off season this would have been like what the what kind of contract is that for a coach like literally the opposite of the contract that they gave adrian griffin the complete opposite <laughs> so you're paying adrian griffin roughly four million per year yep that's what it seems like okay you're still on the hook for Bud until the end of next season at what is probably uh, my guess is 9 to 10 million he was at he was documented it was reported as his salary was at 7 million dollars per year he then won a championship and was extended you can probably assume 9 to 10 million a year so you're looking at 26 million plus per season going on coaching. And you've got this guy locked in true to the end of 2026, 20, 27. 
with really no time to think, no process. Like the counter to this, which you know I'll I'll listen to is they've known they've known for quite some time Agent Griffin is not the guy and maybe there has been a search process of some sorts behind the closed doors it's still not the same thing they haven't been having people in for interviews they haven't been getting visions from coaches across the league of how to which actually now more than ever like would be vital how do you fix our problems like they didn't actually have this to the same extent in the in the offseason to go we traded for Damian Lillard. One, how would you best weaponize? How do you make us truly unstoppable offensively with Giannis, with Damian Lillard, Chris, Brooke? Show us that. And then also, we've traded for Damian Lillard. How do you make us close to the team we have been defensively? Like, it would be really interesting. You might even, you know what, Jordan? If they had the opportunity to do that, they might pick up some interesting things from coaches they don't even hire. <laughs> there could be some ideas could come out in the rooms like oh, that's a funny <laughs> this guy's an asshole we're not gonna hire him but let me just jot that idea down there and we could we could pass it on to the new guy sounds like the work of a consultant <laughs> so this is why i thought he'd get a year and where if it was so bad so damaging that you had to pull the plug that you would have an interim head coach that sees out the season and as much as we love Joe Prunty, I could see why they may not think Joe Prunty is the guy to do that job. Like, he's not. Yeah. We can talk with the leverage other people have. You cannot tell me they couldn't have got a higher profile person. I'm not saying it would be someone we'd like, right? But again, we're dealing with a very particular situation. For example, another name who came out here. We can take this with a pinch of salt. Although this was a name in the summer too, at some point, I feel like. Jeff Van Gundy, right? I want to be really clear. I don't want anyone to take this as me advocating for Jeff Van Gundy in any way. But for example, someone like Jeff Van Gundy, who hasn't coached at the NBA level as a head coach in a very long time. And who at this point, I would think for a variety of reasons, is probably pretty eager to get back in. Do you think if you pick up the phone to Jeff Van Gundy and you're like, Jeff, we can offer you a contract true to the end of June. Will you be the interim head coach? What do you think his answer is? What do you think is the answer um, of, of like 99% of out-of-work coaches in the NBA? Do you want to come for six months, coach Damon Giannis? Maybe have a chance to win a championship. And then if you do that, well, obviously you're gonna have the job. Like, do you wanna do you wanna have the chance to audition to be the next head coach in Milwaukee Books where they've got nothing else going on? Is everyone turning that down? Like if Doc Rivers was presented that as a like a take it or leave it offer, is Doc going, Nah, I'm good. Like I'm I'm loyal to ESPN. If I left ESPN, I could never possibly go back in the summer, you know? I I don't I think they could have gone that route and in doing so, like fully aware of they would not have got the coach who's the perfect coach because you can't get that at mid season, but they, they may still have not got the coach who's the perfect coach and they have given them a three and a half year contract. Yeah. I mean, 
the doc of it all. I've seen a lot of Chris Mannix wrote a very don't go too far into doc because I'm talking with Peter Fagan. What do you? What's your words on Peter? Okay, so are you talking about the clip where someone's asking about like what's going on? He's like, we uh, we will address that tomorrow or something like that. No, I want to talk. So in as part of one of John Horace in his press conference. One of the details, I'll read the quote. Eric, Eric Name helpfully transcribed this, so I was able to <laughs> get it very easy on his Twitter. Um, I'm jumping into the middle of this quote, but just bear with me, everyone. These are special opportunities. We think we have a special group and believe in this team at a high level. And ownership, myself, and Peter, we've continued to be bold and to be aggressive in figuring out how to try to maximize these chances that we have. I've noticed this a few times. Um, like, I just have a genuine confusion again, where it's like I don't feel like we hear enough from a lot of different people, and I think just power has shifted in different ways behind the scenes. And I'm wondering, do people even do what we think they do anymore? Because Peter Fagan is the business guy. Like, that's really his job title is CEO, right? But president, president, okay. What that really means in a basketball sense. It's not, not president, president of basketball, of basketball operations. operations. <laughs> it means you are president of basically everything that isn't basketball. I'm not saying that like basketball is completely like you're never going to even think about basketball. Of course you are. You, you're president of a basketball team. But I have noticed this a couple of times recently. I feel like it happened this summer as well where he's kind of like. I don't know. He's factored in as one of the key decision-making people on basketball decisions. Is he? Is that? Is that? Uh, is he the proxy for the owners? Is he the? Is he Tom Hagen? Is that where is, the? Is he the conciliary here? Edens is in Birmingham. He's he's trying to sign <laughs> players because Champions League is in sight, right? And Peter Fagan is like, uh, that could generally be it. Like that could be that he is the voice in the room. He is the. He is the kind of direct line to ownership because I mean he's there higher at a higher level. He's been there continuously throughout. Their relationship predates the books. True, like well, his might be with Lazary, right? New York business kind of. I don't know. Yeah, but he worked for the Knicks. That's right. So is that it? But also, like Peter Fagan is not a basketball guy. I just find that interesting. Like I'm not. I'm not really seriously trying to cast aspersions in any way or another. I just feel like that's not something that used to happen. Like, there are certain things where, yes, everyone would mention Peter Fagan's role because you're talking, like, broader organization. But these are things about the team, and you're talking about Peter Fagan. I I just don't quite understand that. Is this, but to how we talk about Horst and Bud working together, maybe this is is this the new tandem that works together and has a very shared vision of how the Bucks will operate? What the hell are we doing? What's Peter Fagan? Does Peter Fagan know more about basketball than you or I? He's got a, that's a wet jumper. <laughs> Seriously? I don't, I can't even, I don't know how to respond to that. Like there, maybe <laughs> what, maybe what you're saying is true. I'm not talking about the jumper. I'm talking about the other part, <laughs> but like, I just don't know. If that is the case, that might be the case because, like, he's a trusted person who's around there. And yet, John Horst and Peter Fagan, like, in their roles, would they have to coordinate on things? Sure. I'm just, 
a lot of this would become clear if owners just talked very like here's what happened john decided or we thought we and we talked with john like and you go oh, okay but we don't get that and you get things like that and it's just like that is surprising to me and when you're not hearing from owners like we used to and Lazary is gone and it's like okay is fagan in a different no more uh appearances on msnbc's power lunch I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure he probably still has appearances. He still he just, does, but it's not relevant to us anymore. Bucks. It's like he talks about Billy like, in season eight, like or whatever. Um, <laughs> I just uh, maybe Fagan's remit is more significant now than it once was. Than once thought. I think it is. It's they hired a coach and they fired him seven months later, and his name is on the letterhead for both of them. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I I just don't know why. Why why are the basketball people not making basketball decisions? I think there's like, just a lot of new You know places. his name is not mentioned there? Milt Newton. Like Yeah. I would have hoped that guy had more input than Peter Fagan in whether they were firing the head coach. Like I genuinely again, I'm not genuinely, I'm not gonna yeah. be facetious. I would hope the assistant general manager, who's again like kind of a basketball lifer. <laughs> I'm I'm not and I'm not for a moment. Obviously, he is sitting in a room with a horse and they're talking true that. But I, I do also think the messaging and how this comes out does matter and it tells us something how much about the books, who knows? Um I'll probably think of other stuff I want to bring it back to, but alright, Doc, you want to talk Doc? Yeah. Um You were making the point of going to a coach that you did an interview for when you had this vacancy again some months ago. And, and committing now to it for he... three and a half years. Yeah, because it's, I mean, part of it is there's the job for this season, and then there's the job for after this season, where, as you mentioned, they could have easily just auctioned this off, really as like a caretaker role because that's what it is when when you decide to pull the plug on the aging griffin era 43 games into his in coaching career and whether he continues that on i mean enough smoke has and enough autopsies has uh occurred that perhaps that doesn't happen again but you go into the entirely different direction of doc rivers's coach for 25 years He's coached for multiple teams, has enjoyed plenty of, plenty of success at pretty much every stop. Yeah. Orlando's the most middling success that he had, but there are a lot of reasons why they weren't that great, partially because Grant Hill was hurt and they bet on him being Grant Hill of old. Um, oh, and the franchise was still like in its infancy. Like it was a not an easy job for all of the things that went right for the magic early on. Still not an easy job at that point. No, they were they were still in the, the shadow of trying to find their way after Shaquille O'Neal left the team and didn't have anything. I mean, Doc Rivers, I believe, is eighth on the all-time coaching wins list in NBA history. Like, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about <laughs> whether he clearly has a lot of people that hate him. He clearly has a lot of people that respect him. Um, but we're talking about someone of that 
that magnitude of someone that has been in the game for a very long time and obviously has Milwaukee ties too with you know his number 31 hanging in the Raptors for uh Marquette I like I think that's it no 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 I'm not I'm, no 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 I'm, I'm I, I, I but I but I, I think, like, I'm not I'm not to be dismissive of that, because I think that will be, like, a big thing and a cool thing and something that people, like, yeah, whatever. Cool. Like, Marquette, cool. No offense to probably a lot of our listeners who care deeply about Marquette. But I, I think that's, like, something that you can put more weight behind again in the, in the off-season, where in-season, like, maybe the part of that is Doc is a high-profile guy who does not have a like a really low opinion of Milwaukee. He actually has ties to Milwaukee where he's happy to be like, hell yeah, I'll go to Milwaukee. You know, that's, and, and he did talk Was that? it was very recent. Like, I feel like within the last couple of years, he did like ahead of a game or after a game, he was asked about obviously like being in the building and seeing like Jersey up in the rafters and stuff like that. And, and he did kind of like, oh yeah, like this place, and I would love to be back. Like there was kind of a thing about that where, well, I feel like he probably had his eye on it to some extent. I'm, and I did too because I, I had thought that Doc Rivers was going to be the coach after they fired Jason Kidd. It would fall in line with the name kind of guys that we that we had associated with the Bucks at that time of let's go for the bigger name. Let's go for the guy that we know is a proven leader, proven winner, all that stuff. And obviously they went with Bud and it still worked out. It, it, Bud working out the way that they did. I don't think they saw it coming, but you know, it was a lot more um, transparent as time went, you know, as time went on in that season that Bud was not long for Atlanta after they basically pivoted away and stripped him of his powers and all that stuff. So I, I, it's not the Marquette connection is not, it's very insignificant in terms of this higher, this higher now and why they went after doc. Now they're not going to, you know what I mean? Like, but I will say that will be a part of, you know, he's already coached Four teams, Magic, Celtics, Clippers, Sixers. Bucks will be his fifth. This very well could be his last, like, big. I mean, if his he signed a contract into 2026-27, and I believe he's 62 years old. So that would take him into being 65, 66 years old. That's a long life of coaching and be on the road and be in the NBA and chasing this you know, going after another championship after 16 years of winning your only one as both a coach and player, I believe. There's something, I, I don't think it's insignificant in that sense of coming back to where it all began because obviously Marquette played a role in Doc's whole individual story. But yeah, I... I it, it to me, it's it. I've read a lot of opinion pieces and columns. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated, who I normally like, despite his Boston uh, biases, 
but I think he I think he's one of the the few national beat writers that has had a really good pulse on talking about the Bucks over the years and talk like he has great relationships with the foreign office. He gets interesting quotes and everything like that. And he had a calm about John Horst, um press conference that was kind of like the you know frame and then or the framing device. And then he talked about the whole decision of of why Doc was the risk and everything like that. And I'm just thinking, no, they already made the risky choice. That was Adrian Griffin. Doc is here to save the day and clean up the mess because as we have talked about for, I don't know how long we've been going, but we have been talking about a 30 and 13 team that clearly was miserable for large chunks of it and didn't like the leader of the team who we, you know, had (laughs) many hours of podcasting and internal discussions about like, well, what's really wrong with this team? Can we see it? Is it stuff that just going on, going on behind closed doors and people think that they are in the know of everything that I don't know, but like, that's where we're at. And doc, whether you think he's some snake oil salesman, like a lot of people clearly have this opinion of him. Um, he recognized the situation, hold it, per, played it perfectly. Of this is what I'm going to get to save your guys' butt because they needed Doc Rivers more than he needed them. And then now he's coming out of, you know, I guess not retirement, but out of the media business to work in coaching again. I mean, ESPN have wanted him in the media business for years, and Doc has done everything in his power every time to stay in not... the media business. <laughs> so he's always wanted coaching. I was when you brought up Doc eight all time. You're right on that. I was like, is he one of the only like available like either non dead or retired guys with more wins than Bud? He's not quite, but he's. Yeah, I was gonna he... say Van Gundy probably doesn't have. But he's in. See, he's in a sweet spot. D'Antoni? He's one of the only guys with a similar winning percentage to Bud who has won more games than Bud. Like, he was still coaching. Um, He hasn't quite got the same winning percentage. You know, it is slightly lesser. He has been around longer. Um, 590 winning percentage. Good for 34 to all time. That's not sampling out people with tiny, tiny sample sizes. Like our guy Bob Pettit, for example, eight all time. Uh, won, four, <laughs> won four of the six games he coached, Jordan. It's pretty good. You know who's 28 all time? I wonder who his country for for that team. <laughs> well, more on that later time. Uh, 28 all time? You know who that is? 20 winning percentage? Yeah. I think it's got to be bad. Uh, Bud is Bud is twenty four, so Bud has a six oh four winning percentage. This person twenty eight is six hundred career winning percentage. Is it Doc? No, no, he's down at five ninety. He's thirty four at all time. Ben Gundy? No, no, it's think think closer to home. Closer to home. Is he still living? Yeah, he's the current coach of Milwaukee Bucks. Joe Pruntel? Pruntel. <laughs> Joe Prunty. <laughs> he's won 24 out of 40 games, you know? So... 24 and 16 is Joe Prunty's career NBA head coach. That's not including playoff games. Um, 
That'll be regular season. That's better than I thought. Anyway, so three I'm, and four for if you include the playoff games. Yeah, that's um, that's besides the point. But the point being, we talked a lot about Bud when the Bucks did great things, even when they fired him, about the kind of like the tier he is in of coaches all time and among his peers. Just very, very few people you could turn to. And your yeah. Rick Carlisle's, your Eric Spolstra's, like they're in jobs and they're very much unavailable. I also, I was thinking about Surrey when, like, we could probably highlight nearly every game and be like, well, this is the game where the Bucks must have had serious doubts. I think there is something to the Pacers stuff, though, and just how oh. Rick Carlisle, like, a coach like that, because again, Rick Carlisle, I would say, is a much better coach than Doc Rivers and has probably been borne out as that and has always had a higher reputation than that. But again, that a certain type of coach maybe had them looking longingly across the sideline and being like, yeah, we didn't we didn't do the we didn't go for the right type of coach. Like this is definitely a correction of well, just literally someone who's been here before and then can deal with the pressure, which is like that was part of what you had in in Bud. And maybe Bud. they didn't realize that because of like Bud's demeanor. But like part of the upside of Bud being Pop's assistant the Spurs through their golden years is like that was just literally every year. <laughs> like yeah. more than most people. Just like, I guess, here we go again. Time to go try and win another championship. Um, you know, like uh, what are we gonna do today? Brain, pinky in the brain kind of situation. Uh <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but Bud is definitely Pinky in the, you know, the pop Bud, Pinky in the Brain comparison. Um, I just like. So, as I said, this is like $26 million a year, right? They've given $40 million through 2026, 27. This is not my money. I, I don't care as long as this keeps going. As long as if this is a disaster, they just fire him again and they're paying someone else $12 million next year. And it just keeps going up and up. But I just I also don't think I'm that naive to think that that's putting strain on their places. I, I saw that season ticket prices are going way up next year. And I believe... Is that true? Yeah. Um, I, I saw some tweets. People can chime in. I... Just scroll my timeline. I saw seemingly season ticket holders have well, already been informed, but like that's where I'm like, guessing these are, these are actually not the hidden costs. These are the really visible. Did that come costs. out this week? It, before before stuff happened, but yes, um, or maybe late hmm. last week. Hmm. I mean, but but even yeah. like if it's not that right, so. What I'm trying to draw here is because I'm always the advocate for this, and the, like it isn't our money, and they should be paying. There is always there's always a like a breaking point, yeah. And we're not near the breaking point on a timeline sense because this team is designed to be this way and hopefully have chances to win championships for multiple years. But it probably means there are certain things within a year that get crunched, and some of them will be in a basketball way, and some of them won't be in a basketball way. Like some of them will get passed on to the fans and. Vice or form in all variety of ways, probably. Um, it just it also, if you've got twenty six million, that's on the hook for coaching, and with a possibility in 
Well, buds would come off at least if it's two years. This is a ridiculous way to have to think. This is fully back to, okay, we've got Larry Sanders, we've got Spencer Hawes. Remember all of these, like, just all this dead money that was stretched that we were like, God, when that comes off. <laughs> it's like we're going back to that. It doesn't count towards the cap, but this is big money. And when you add that to a tax bill that is really big, yeah. and just to forget tax, forget anything else, like the amount committed in salary, really significant money. Like the cost of running the books on a yearly basis is crazy. Now, maybe that makes it a good thing that they brought in <laughs> Jimmy Haslam and his deeper pockets because it's like, hey, Jimmy, we might need to fire some coaches in quick succession here. <laughs> can we can we have an injection of capital? Um, I don't know, but. At a certain point, I don't think the $26 million is insignificant just because it doesn't count towards the cap. Because ultimately, when the owners, you know, they're like the back of a notepad and they're doing their sums, Jordan, they're doing them, running the numbers and they're like, yeah, okay, all these billions that we have to pay this year. Like, whatever the upper limit of that is, it, it kicks in and that could at some point have an effect on a on a contract decision you're looking to make, on an extension, on something, even though it's not towards the cap, because ultimately it's still coming out of the same people's pockets. Yeah. Like it's it's way down in terms of my list of concerns. But one of my longest running concerns has just been I don't think this this team is thinking like <laughs> with the long term in mind. I don't think they're thinking with the medium term in mind anymore. They're literally doing whatever it takes to try and salvage a season that I'm maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm just the minority. I would have been fine with punting the season, not in a literal sense, but if that meant writing it out, if it's Joe Prunty, it's Joe Prunty, right? Yeah. And you know what? Maybe Joe Prunty surprised you. Maybe the vibes are so much better and maybe guys figure something out and there could be something that surprises you there. I don't know. Like, it doesn't sound likely. But is that a... Is that a more, like, responsible and sensible approach to making sure that you're going to have the right coach for the next five years? Yeah. Is the flip side of that they don't even trust themselves to get a coaching higher right? Is it easier for John Horace to act now and be like, well, I had to, I had to act in the moment, you see. And that's, that's why I ended up with Doc Rivers and it didn't work out as opposed to see out, literally have the guts of six months to think about who the next head coach would be. And then if you got that wrong, I mean, then you'd be fired. There's no doubt you'd be fired. Forget anything else you did before that. If you messed up one coaching hire, then at six months to get the next one right, and you mess that up again, forget it. You're out of here. I don't. It's just we are. We're going a long time, longer than we've gone for quite a while. But it's it's the layers of mm-hmm. the layers of messiness and just kind of the concern that trickles down that to almost to get us to a place where we're closer to wrapping up. I don't think it's different to anything we talked about last episode where we were essentially imagining a situation like this and sharing that we weren't very confident. But ultimately, hey, this team has Giannis and this team has Dame and you look at all the talent, like they they might just like go and do it all in spite of like in spite of all reason. 
just in the face of all logic suggesting that they are not that team, they could just become that team. Um, like maybe Doc Rivers is just the latest part of that. I don't know, but it feels night and day like how the franchise's approach to things has changed compared to, say, leading into the championship season. Yes. And I I think that's maybe a more important way to frame it because it's it's what got you there and while I do think is sometimes necessary to to do it again is some level of stability and not panic, not desperation. Like the the actions of the past few days are of desperation. They are, like yes. undoubtedly. No one wants to see this this train stop rolling. And for it to happen in, you know, you make the second biggest trade in franchise history. Like, that's where the internal checkpoints that clearly Agent Griffin failed to reach and that you had to act in the way that the Bucks have acted over the last couple of days. You know, it's... I don't know. I I I think that's where I think we can feel optimistic about things um looking up and looking more resembling oh that's not just a team with a good record it's a team that actually knows how to play with one another. You know what I mean? So are, like like we've we've kind of talked through kind of somewhat detached but are you optimistic? Like yes. Yes. And then what does that mean? Like, to what extent is that? What is the ceiling of your optimism? Are you like, hell yeah, we got Doc Rivers. Let's go win a championship. Is that, I, I know I'm making that sound <laughs> ridiculous, but is like, is that where you are? Are you, what is your current expectation for where this book's season ends? Like, what round, under what kind of circumstances? If you were to try and map out now, what do you think seems realistic? I think conference finals seems more realistic. Getting there. I don't know about... More more there. realistic. More realistic. But is it realistic? More realistic than with Griffin, but is it still... Is it realistic? Yes, because I, I think... Is it is it dependent on opponents? I don't know. That's TBD. They were sweating out games against the Pistons last two nights before beating the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, like, that I... is the floor that we were at. I, and, again, I understand, like... We're it's not even fair to compare Doc to Griffin because we all knew that increasingly knew that this is just kind of sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Now it's like, okay, well, you have Doc. What can he do in the magic of what 38 games, 39 games before the playoffs begin? Where where can the team gel or or find ways to empower one another rather than succeeding very well individually, but not necessarily meshing in the way that we would say, oh, that's how the Bucks looked like in years past. That's a more thorny question. 
I'm I'm not optimistic, and I, as much as this is a place where I'm sure people come for pragmatism, maybe bordering on pessimism, uh, I fall into a trap every year where I almost feel like a caricature myself. It's almost like there's a role reversal where it comes playoff time and the playoffs about to start, and it's we'll do some sort of preview, and I'll be like, "We're going to the championship, Jordan." <laughs> I just like get championship fever. Maybe we get back to a place this year where that's gonna be the case. I it like for the first time since Jason Kidd was head coach, I just don't see it. I really can't see it. And do where you, do you think where the I, process eventually reflects the results or the final result, I should say? That is that is difficult because I think there's gonna be there's gonna be multiple elements to that. If we wanted to take an optimistic view of this, and this would be optimistic in my more like even keel optimism, which is let's say this season ultimately isn't going to give them what they want. Maybe there's a second round exit, but the time they get with Doc lays the groundwork for something that they can be a better team for next season. Now, that sounds great, but that is fully reliant on the assumption of like, that this is all going to work out and it's great and you're building towards something. The reality is if it turns out not to be that, you've just like, you've lit yourself and the whole team on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think this is better than where we were a few days ago, right? Like it, the Adrian Griffin thing, I had no real belief. I do think Doc Rivers can get a bounce from this team. It just doesn't feel like it's working in any way. Doesn't feel like now. Maybe we see the transformation. <laughs> we already saw the team tweet out. God, what did what did Aaron Griffin do to the social media manager? Um, the video of the players in what it, we know is not an overly unusual scene. No, but, that's that's quite normal. Well, that is well, it hasn't been normal lately. That is certainly more jubilant. And I'm not I'm not even suggesting that there actually is a connection, but uh. I run a social media account for a living. I think if I was running the book social media, I would choose not to put that post out the day Adrian Griffin was fired. I would. Some men just want to watch the world burn, Jordan. (laughs) Um, If we are to imagine, though, like, because we talked about that on our last episode, too, it's like, Vibes just being off, like players who their attitude is just, has always been good, just looking like God, they hate their life. Everybody Brooke Lopez, ornery. Is, Brooke Lopez is the best example of that. Like, if Brooke Lopez just <laughs> sort of like seems like Brooke Lopez, like I'm not even talking about the player, I'm talking like the guy, Brooke Lopez, that we all know and love again. Yeah. Maybe you can start to win me back over on this, where it's just like, okay, like maybe things are normal and everyone's not miserable anymore. He's not turning but... around and cussing out officials as he's walking towards the bench. I did enjoy He that. normally does, but that he was does, like... but that was great. He doesn't eat... You normally won't catch him on camera quite like that. <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed that. That's why he, that's why he chews on those towels. He's hiding his... <laughs> what he's actually, you know, no uh, slow lip read or whatever. I, I'm just... I'm not buying it. And uh, the other part of this too is... I think that's deadline. Fair. Trade deadline is close. I would be more skeptical about them making a trade now than I was before, but if they do, it's not necessarily going to make this job any easier. Like, as much as we can say, oh, they need help, they need another defender, they also 
they really don't they need gotta... other variables in the mix. Like they don't need something else that could be right or wrong that could fit or not fit. Like, Peter it... Fagan might be saying, "Hey, oh Jesus Christ." <laughs> Is he working the phones? Is he? Is he, is he trying to make trades up? We got a picture of him working two phones in the same shot. So, <laughs> this my favorite version of Peter Fagan is you know announcing parade times. Peter Fagan. I think if we're to get back there, we might need less Peter That's Fagan in some other areas. Yeah. Uh, I hope to. I hope to be proven wrong. I just it doesn't doesn't feel they're they're just. It's it's also we can talk about the books and the books and the books and that's what we do. We're a Milwaukee Books podcast. I think there are a lot of other really good teams, and I think like we could be dismissive, for example, of a team like the Pacers. Except I don't think we can be dismissive of the Pacers this year. I really don't. I like Not anymore. We got Doc. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jordan. Oh, and three I... since getting Pascal Siakam, I believe. Maybe they won a game lately. I don't know. Well, look, that is a big change. That could do it all is. sorts of things. I just scary Terry going to the Heat. I'm using I'm using the Heat are an example that I wouldn't even want to invoke because it's obvious, like the the fear that the Miami Heat bring out in all of us. But I, I think the Pacers, as because if we were to talk about like as you said, oh, you think they could make conference finals? So like the obvious teams that we'll put in the in the pad as obstacles to that are Celtic. Celtics, Sixers, Heat. I like there is not a guarantee that this team has an easy ride against a Pacers team that's actually had their number this year, and against a Pacers team that has like who I would still say is one of the better coaches in the NBA, and they are building in it like they're building in a coherent way on this journey, right? That's again when we talk of when you hire a coach and you get to the books don't have some of that luxury, but it's a very different thing. And Pacers are the seventh seed right now, so they would be lead the play in, and the heater obviously the sixth seed. I would be so so anxious about that series if that was tomorrow. Which one? I'd, well, basically, any <laughs> series is a valid point, but if if yeah. we were if it was books Pacers two seed against the seven seed who's come true whatever play in shenanigans uh i'd be like i don't like it jordan <laughs> no like, i would not yeah either. they probably win and they should win but they the gap between how much like they should win on paper versus how likely it is they would win is nowhere near what it should be and I don't see no. that writing itself. And like the the Cavs are as much as you know Joe Pronti, he can clearly maybe Joe Joe. What do you think Joe's uh, role is going to be in this whole? We actually someone who we haven't mentioned. Dave Yeager is in a very very good NBA coach. Who, yes, he is. If this team is going to be fixed and if the defense is going to be worked out, it's him. It's gonna have to be him. Like he's going to be the guy. Um, so that's that's quite a big deal. Maybe Prunty is around long enough that he like I'm sure Doc knows him and there's a respect. We might have some sort of Prunty lead Prunty's offensive assistance, yeah, or lead defensive assistant, and that being kind of the core brain trust. I don't know, but look, the Cavs like again, they're a team that like the book should beat the Cavs, but also 
and that's that's where it comes down to. It's just I could start listing off like quite a few teams. Like it doesn't stretch to like screw the Bulls. Who cares about them? I don't know. If they end up in the mix, don't they're not scared of them. I mean the books could have bowed arms tied behind their backs and they beat the Bulls. Um but like the the real teams, teams that are even somewhat competent, like competence is not necessarily something that's a guarantee for the books in the next few months. It's it's certainly what it's they've fair. gone after. Every... It's why they've made the hire. Yeah. Everything is on the table. But like I don't think anybody would be surprised with how the season ends up based on what we've already seen and based on just how I, you know, this is a one of a kind buck season for a lot of reasons and a lot of them are not good. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think that's where, I think that's where we're, we are landing <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, we'll, look, we'll see. I don't. The other thing is how, like, when will we? We we go. We're back to the start of a cycle. So it's like we just had a conversation about how long it takes, and you know, well, maybe Griffin could like it could click. They could get. We're now at the beginning again, and if Doc tries to introduce things, it's like, what's real? What's not real? When do we start to? That's where it's like the season's kind of. You're writing off the season, but you're also being like, hey, it would be great if you could win a championship, though. <laughs> it just doesn't feel yeah. compatible. Uh, do you want to have our next week when we do the episode that we were going to do before all this stuff happened? Because I was actually looking forward to that. It was like, I was. Honestly, I might be looking even more forward to it by the time next week rolls around. Who knows what, what the news cycle's gotten, how books look, and all that sort of stuff. We don't um, even know when Doc is going to coach his first game yet. That's true, too. That's kind of... And it, it's literally every other day, pretty much, for the for the next week. When do you jump games. in on that, even? Are they going to announce it to be like, Doc is taking over at the All-Star break? They could do it next, start it next week, because they Dame's homecoming game against the Blazers is next week, Wednesday. They have a two-day layoff, and then I think they're home against someone. That might be it, because it feels like you don't like <laughs> don't change kind coach of in, in the middle of like a back-to-back or like back-to-back, then play Monday, then play Wednesday. I don't see how they. I don't know. Well, what we were alluding to is Chris Middleton moves to third all-time on the books scoring list in the past week. Um. If... You could be forgiven forget for forgetting that now or just not caring. But it is kind of a big deal. And Chris is also like he's had some nice scoring flight. You know, he's shown a little bit of something. Um and he is and forever will be one of the most weirdly divisive players, I guess. And is kind of just a fascinating player to discuss all of that. So we were planning on doing like, let's talk with Chris Mill. Let's talk about where he's at now, what he's achieved, and like how his legacy is continuing to shape up. And then all this stuff happened. You know, maybe we just revisit that next week, unless the books decide to derail that. We got to trade, and <laughs> which look, it is entirely possible that they won't allow us to kind of talk about the things we want to talk about, Jordan. Yes, but yeah. So 
we might do that. We haven't had a mailbag in a while too, and maybe this is kind of this might be the kind of news that makes people want to ask questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. Make people get involved. Maybe we can put a mailbag together, um, either with that or for our next episode or the one after that. So keep an eye out on that. We'll put a mailbag call out on Twitter and probably in the GSPN Discord as well. Most importantly, to make sure you never miss an episode, you should subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Eurostep Podcast Network feed. You're home for all things Milwaukee books. Tyler and Sharon Caddy over in the Eurostep, they've just been like in overdrive. It's like, it's it's like an addiction. It's a problem. It's like, can we get another podcast today? Can we get another one? Can we get another one? Shout out to Time Rowan doing stellar work. I've already covered all this news from all angles. We'll continue to. On that feed, the Eurostep Podcast Network, you'll get every episode of Eurostep with Time Rowan, and you'll get every episode of Wooden Six with myself and Jordan. Plus, we'll probably have a crossover episode soon, too. It's the kind of big trade earth deadline, shattering. Trade deadline's two, two weeks away. It's just that as well, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the kind of groundbreaking <laughs> thing we usually have a crossover about. And I don't know. We pit our collective wits against each other. Me and Ty have an argument to generally what that means. <laughs> um, let's see. Maybe maybe we can get that working. If not, you're you are right. Probably around All Star break, there might be opportunity for a couple of those. Should also check out. Well, why not? Let's go to Talk of the Tundra first. Come on. Did no, no I was just pointing. Oh, you're just no, pointing. No. Okay. Um, are you? Have you gone on like a hiatus yet? Is there any break? Uh, or are you gonna? We were, we we're planning on, on taking it easy this week, and then that's understandable. <laughs> and then the Packers decided otherwise. Yes. Yeah, so a new one will be probably out around the same time as this episode's out. Oh wow! I didn't realize in keeping you all this time that you had another pod to do. Uh, you should have communicated that before we started, Jordan. <laughs> really? Um, so to hear Jordan and Umak, um. I mean, will there be any more reflection on the good, the bad of last week, or is this just this is Joe Barry time? Um, God, you, probably you're, so... you're sick for like coach firings, right? It's like, it's like it gets you up in the morning. You're like, yeah, let me just do two of these firing pods back to back. Apparently, this is this is the lot or the light the lot in my what? What is it? Your lot in life. Lot in life. There we go. Um. Yeah, we got to talk about Joe Barry. Uh, sorry, I cut you. I cut you off. Will, will there be any more reflection, or is it the Joe Barry? I would special? assume. I would assume yeah, there's going to be got a full off season reflection. for that too. That is true. We have. We'll revisit predictions very soon, and then we'll revisit whatever else that we said over the course of the year. Then we'll have free agency coming up soon. It's it's all quick. Things happen quickly these days. All off season long, talk to Sandra will be the home for your Green Bay Packers content. If you want Milwaukee Brewers talk, talk about Reese Hoskins, sure to hit dingers. Andrew Snyder and I have already... No, see, we haven't... This is the second pod tonight I've recorded. Oh. We haven't actually talked about that yet. But if you want to hear talk about that, that's the next episode. Andrew debated whether he'd just do two minutes to get out of the way at the end to make time for this. And whoever hears it, hears it, which would probably be no one. Um... But I said, no, we will do a podcast on the latest Brewers days. And I won't even be more specific than that, because who knows what they're going to do in the next few days. But yeah, there is an episode on the Reese Hoskin 
signing on, I guess, the the improving outlook for the Brewers season and the clarity that we have as to what their plans might be, how they might look like. And last but by no means least, the aforementioned make time for this. Uh, Andrew and I have an episode that will be up on the same Friday that this episode will post. Busy GSPN day for pods. Um, looking to our most anticipated films of 2024 and sharing some kind of, you know, at a scan, quick glance reaction to the 96th Academy Award nominations. What's everything we do? There sure is a lot of it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking it all out. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.